It's Jared. Hey, it's Adam. Before we start, we want all of our listeners to be aware that this episode discusses both gun violence and gun control. These topics may make some people uncomfortable, so please listen at your own discretion. One of the most impactful and important issues for young people in the past 20 years has been gun violence prevention. Since the Columbine school shooting in 1999, a sharp increase in both gun deaths and school shootings have hit home for many young people. However, while many people agree that this is a concerning trend in American society, our nation seems divided on solutions to this problem. With some taking the approach that stricter gun control and legislative action is a necessary step and others believing that responsible gun ownership can be the solution to the problem, gun control has become a hotly contested issue. Although clearly divisive, many people want the same outcome and share far more in common than is initially apparent. That's exactly why Adam and I thought that for an issue this relevant and meaningful, we ought to understand where both sides of this issue are coming from in order to understand how to move forward. Because at the end of the day, stopping gun violence is something we all desire, and a healthy dialogue on the subject is a critical first step. So, for this episode, I sit down with Ben Holtzman from March for Our Lives, D.C. And I sit down with Antonio Herrera, a firm believer in gun ownership and the rights of legal gun owners. So, if you're interested in gun control, gun violence, or simply want to understand an issue that can affect so many, stay stay tuned. Hi, Ben. Hello, hello. How are you? I'm doing well, trying to figure myself out during quarantine. Awesome that you got this started. Thank you. Thank you. So if you could just define for some of our viewers who might have heard the term gun control uh, thrown around, really, what is that? And where does the modern gun control debate start? Because gun violence in America has evolved very significantly, I would say, in the past 50 years. So kind of where does that start? And where does a lot of the modern gun control debate start with it? So let's define, first of all, what gun control isn't. Because I think a lot of people think about gun control and they hear, you know, taking your guns away, because that's what a lot of people who are technically against gun control, and I'll go over why I said technically. But so gun control is not taking away your firearms. It's not even making it harder for you to get your guns. We're not trying to restrict you from getting guns. Gun control is the concept that there should be certain laws in place that ensure that the people who own guns are doing so responsibly and they they don't have a record that would make their ownership of a gun dangerous to others. Because a lot of people actually really support gun control. What they don't agree with is taking away people's guns. That's what gun control really is. It's ensuring that people who own guns are safe to own guns because we don't want mass shootings that happen sadly almost every day now happen. And we, But we don't also want interpersonal acts of gun violence to happen either. So that's what gun control really is. How I see it, the whole idea behind gun control is that it centers around this notion that with the implementation of further firearm restrictions and subsequent legislation, that there's a decrease in gun deaths overall, which if you look at raw data and statistics that have been done across the board, this notion has been verifiably false. The fact that many still believe it and that it's perpetuated by many in the media, many politicians nowadays, is why gun control, in a sense, doesn't work. But how it's evolved over time, the main gun control debate that we're pretty much used to nowadays really started around Columbine, and that's when people started to bring up, you know, assault weapons bans and concealed carry restrictions, all that. And as time has gone on since then, 
this overwhelming perception that we need more gun control legislation, more restrictive legislation, has just become more and more radical as we lead all the way to today. And this is encapsulated in how uh, not too long ago, a up-and-running presidential candidate at the nationally broadcast Democratic presidential nomination debate stated that, hell yes, we're going to take away your AR-15s, and, you know, was given thunderous applause. And that really encapsulates how the public perceives gun control nowadays. Because I know 30, maybe 40 years ago, no one would have clapped for that. So when we look pre-even World War II and a little bit into the 50s, right, we don't see the amount of gun violence that we have. But we know that gun ownership per capita hasn't, uh, it's definitely grown over time. But I would say guns have been a part of American culture since the very beginning. I mean, as evidenced by the Second Amendment. But in general, guns have been a part of American life. But we didn't see the gun violence correlated that early, right? It's pretty much only, I would say, in the past half century that we see this massive uptick in gun violence and mm. similarly a massive uptick in the debate about how to combat yeah. that gun violence. You know, Columbine, when mm-hmm. Columbine happened, that's when the first real debates around gun control became mainstream. Mm-hmm. And we can get into the policy later. But one thing is universal background checks. And universal background checks would be a federal policy that ensures that every licensed gun dealer sells a gun, but when they sell it, that person who's buying the gun gets a background check by the FBI. And so certain states have this, and through the states, we've stopped 3 million people from buying firearms. So we know it's an effective policy. And in addition to that, 90 to 97% of the country agrees with this policy. I feel like background checks, not as they stand today, but the general idea of them are pretty, would be pretty effective in stopping gun control, especially with allowing the mentally insane or those who have malicious intent to purchase high capacity firearms legally. And I feel like there should be a serious reworking of the system, not just with more background checks, but with a more effective system of background checks. But also as time has gone on, the whole debate around gun control has drifted more from a reasonable, logical discussion to a more emotionally driven, subjective one, where people like to bring up uh, personal experiences instead of looking at how gun control has statistically worked. And this is not really what we need as an American people. We don't want to be keep heading down this path if we really want to stop further gun violence. Because an analysis of how gun control works and which measures do, do and don't work is what will really stop further gun violence. So if current gun legislation hasn't seemed to be effective as you described, what do you think would be effective? Because obviously mass shootings and just gun violence as a whole still occurs in America. And I think all of us across the political spectrum want to see that changed. But if gun control is not doing that effectively, what do you think should be implemented or changed in gun legislation to just see less death overall? Because I think that should be probably the main goal of most legislators who are focusing on any gun policy. Right. Well, first of all, if we want to really change gun control in a way that will really stop further gun violence, we need to change the public perception. Because now, obviously, people believe that if we just implement these new restrictions that gun deaths will go down. But if you really look at it, that's not how it works. And I like to bring up this 
very, very comprehensive research review done by the Rand Corporation on gun policy. Pretty much what this was, was a massive pool of resources collected all the way from 1979 to 2019. And these have been thoroughly reviewed. And through this analysis, they found that no evidence of any gun control policies that are brought up by mainstream politicians today, things like assault weapons bans or concealed carry restrictions, there's been no conclusive evidence that it would stop any mass shootings. And that in some cases, it could actually increase violent crime. As I've said, with less people who can conceal carry, you will see more criminals be able to kill more people without any repercussions, without any interventions by the general public. You will see further gun crime. But if we want to implement gun control measures that work, we need to restrict the civilian less. Because... It really boils down to a very, very simple notion that in our society, there are good people with guns and bad people with guns. And, you know, how we determine who are good and bad people in general is a very subjective argument that I won't really go into. But people who follow the law and those who use firearms to defend themselves are the good people, while bad people are those are criminals that use firearms for malicious intent to kill others. And... The, the main problem with gun control is that it only targets good people. It only targets those people that follow the laws. It's not going to change any mass shooter's mind who's already a criminal, who already purchases their firearms through the black market, and just implementing further gun control measures will not stop these bad people. But what will stop these bad people is giving good people guns. It's making it easier for the everyday civilian to purchase a firearm so that if push comes to shove and massive crowd is being targeted by a mass shooter, then there will be someone right there on the scene to stop them. But if you keep perpetuating gun control measures that just make it harder for people to conceal carry or to purchase handguns, then you're just going to see a further increase in gun violence in mass shootings. What about concealed carry restrictions? So first of all, like, what yeah. is concealed carry? And yeah. what are kind of the arguments behind that? Yeah, so concealed carry is a law in some states that allows you to carry a gun. It sounds very much what it is. Basically, you can conceal your gun. You can carry it in your handbag. You can carry it in your belt. You're not showing it. That's concealed carry. And the arguments for it are that it's used as self-defense, basically. It's a self-defense argument. So that's what concealed carry is. I think intuitively to a lot of people at first glance, it, concealed carry doesn't seem like a major issue, right? It's like whether it's out there or not, you're still having a gun on you and would use it yeah. relatively in the same way. But a bunch of people on the left are against it or at least are in favor of a strict permitting process for it. Why is yeah. that in your opinion? It comes down to something I think we'll talk about a little bit later, but just the good guy with a gun argument, right? That is where the basis of concealed carry comes from, is that, or at least the arguments for it. The argument for it is saying, okay, well, if I'm in a mall or if I'm in even a school, some people have argued, and there's a shooter who comes to me, or even, or not even in mass shooting situations, but also personal situations, if I'm being robbed in something, having concealed carry allows me to defend myself. So basically, in regards to good guy with a gun, the FBI had a report done in 2014 that examined a bunch of active shooter incidents that happened between 2000 and 2013. And in only five of those incidents, so out of 160, in only five of those incidents, 
armed individuals, so concealed carry people, stuff like that, who were not members of law enforcement. So they're private citizens. They exchanged gunfire with the shooter, and that led to the shooter being killed or the shooter being wounded or even the shooter taking his own life. But in contrast, 21, so the guns were five out of 160, but in contrast, 21 of the incidents ended after unarmed citizens safely and successfully restrained the shooter. So most of the time in gun violence prevention and, and in active shooter situations, you have unarmed citizens safely restraining the shooter. And actually, we have many documents from the police that say when multiple people have guns during an active shooting, the police are not in the mall. They don't know who is the guy with the gun. I mean, mm. you can see time and time and again, people have bad memories when they're in high stress situations. I won't get into the psychology of it, but it's called the red zone. You have the white, the yellow, the orange, and red uh, psychological zones. When you're in the red zone, that's when you're in an active shooter drill. Uh, or in, in not, not a drill, but an actual situation. You don't remember all the details of the situation you're in. So there's no really good grounded evidence to say, okay, this person looks like that, this person looks like that. You're going to have a, a whole mix of details in regards to the shooter. So the less guns in the vicinity as possible is really going to help the police actually stop who is committing the crime. And, and then I, I think on top of that, to go back to a previous point, just statistically, there are more times where there's a shooting incident where unarmed people stop the person who's committing the crime. Um, and, and so that's where the, the good guy with a gun argument really breaks down. And therefore, the concealed carry argument also breaks down. The, the, the two go hand in hand. Um, and that's why we're personally against concealed carry, simply because statistically, it does not work. And in fact, it seems like it causes probably more harm than good here. It's going to cause more that's issues. That's the police point. I think that's, a, I think that's something that's maybe missed a lot of the time. And I think a lot of the evidence on private citizens stopping certain incidences or foiling certain crimes in some way is misconstrued on both sides, I would argue. Um, and I think yeah. that's actually, I think as you alluded to, at the core of gun ownership and gun control is that are these things naturally good or naturally bad? And what yeah. are the outcomes? And I think if we can kind of come to a common understanding on that, I think a lot of uh, policies can be a little bit clearer and probably more people would agree on them. So one of the issues that I think was most raised by some of the friends on the right was an assault weapons ban. And this has yeah. you know, been something that has been really popularized, I would say, in the last five years. So I guess I have two questions, which is one, in your opinion, is that a form of gun control, since that would be at least a partial ban? And two, how effective do you think that would be? Or in general, is it just a good policy that March for Our Lives and or yourself is behind? I think there are good arguments for it. Personally, I am in favor of it. And the reason why is because of self-defense. I, I do believe using a, a gun for self-defense is completely fine. Within the confines of your home, I think using a gun is totally fine. But you do not need an automatic assault weapon to do that. I just don't think that you do. People can use multiple handguns, and sadly, handguns are the majority of gun violence. So I understand that a federal assault weapons ban would not solve all the gun violence, and that's not by any means what March for Our Lives means to claim. But a federal assault weapons ban would allow us to at least decrease gun violence, and it still stays within the confines of self-defense. This isn't taking away your right to self-defend by using a handgun, nor is it preventing you from using hunting rifles. Many hunters say they don't need assault weapons. There just does not seem to be a good argument why individuals would need assault weapons to defend themselves. 
Um, so that's kind of where the basis of, of my belief happens, that most of the use of assault weapons are for assault. They are for offensive measures. They're to kill great amounts of people. And they're not used in defense. Whereas handguns are sadly used in both, but can be used far better in a defensive scenario. Obviously, gun control is one of the most hotly contested issues across our country. And there are some that say, no, we got to go even further and do complete gun bans. And some that say, no, we should be having more open gun systems. What have some of the countries that have already implemented complete gun bans seen happen in their nations that either points towards a, a more successful or more negative system based on that? Right. Well, as I've seen, and I'm sure many other people have seen and love to point out how countries like New Zealand successfully banned automatic rifles and have been seeing less gun crime as a result. However, such comparisons can't plausibly be made to the United States. First off, we have way more guns in our country. We have way more people that go out and buy guns. We have way more criminals that have guns as a result. And just saying that other countries are doing it, therefore we should do it, is not a, a real comparison that should be done. And then many like to go way out there and say that we need to ban all guns. First off, I just want to combat that notion straight off. It doesn't come from a real sense of the facts, of what really happens out there, of what really happens with gun violence. People like to say that, you know, we should ban all guns. And then all guns will go away. All gun violence will go away as a result of gun bans. And that statistically has never happened in any country that has tried to implement such gun bans. There still is gun violence. And going back to a point I made about how we know criminals buy their guns off of uh, the illegal markets, we know the vast majority of them get them off the illegal markets from a 2016 GO DOJ report that was conducted on the source and use of firearms involved in crimes. And in it, they studied all the prison inmates that were collected as a result of gun crimes. And they found that merely 1.3% of such convicted felons purchased their firearms through a, a retail source. But again, America is way, way different in the sense that we have more guns. We have a way denser gun culture in that many people have high-capacity firearms. And just generally, people aren't going to subject themselves to a government buyback program has been done in Australia. That's just not going to happen here. You're going to see way more protests, way more violent revolts. And that's not what we need to do in order to stop gun violence, especially here in America. Pretty much, it goes back again to the general idea that the United States, with the Second Amendment, does give their citizens the ability to defend themselves, whether that be from a burglar or corrupt law enforcement, it still gives them a ability to protect themselves. And, you know, that's way better than banning all guns, saying civilians shouldn't own guns. Then that gives the government even more power. It gives them all of the firepower, and it gives the civilians nothing to fight back with. But also, not even if the federal government were, were to be corrupted, but if local government were to be corrupted, say many people are talking now about, you know, racist cops and you know, the corruption some have seen in their local police forces, stuff like that, the ability for a minority to arm themselves makes it way harder for the police agency to 
discriminate against someone of color like that if more minorities were to be able to arm themselves and responsibly own it then i believe that there would be a reduction in you know such discrimination especially in local enforcement agencies and so it again goes back to why the second amendment was even made and that yeah yeah that was to stop a corrupt government from overbearing its citizens to be very honest it seems and this is the same thing with parkland and sandy hook these are and i don't mean to deter anything away from how horrendous those things are because they are indeed horrendous but it seems that gun control is really talked about and, and the debate on guns is really talked about when it happens in white communities you know the the violence that we see in mass shootings and stuff they account i believe the percentage is one percent of all shootings and so i think mass shootings like columbine like sandy hook like parkland they bring up the debate but this debate has been underlying in the american psyche mm. i think for years because it really has happened in our most vulnerable communities to it really takes white shootings to really bring it to light so then i think a lot of the question that people have is because gun violence is on the rise and even during this pandemic we've seen a spike in gun purchases um, yeah. to kind of complement the general upward trend of gun usage. Is there a solution that can kind of reverse the trend here across the board mm. when it comes to gun violence? I mean, gun control is a, is a good measure, I think, for yeah. a lot of people on the left. I mean, obviously you would agree, given that that's what you do a lot of your lobbying work for. Yeah. But the question is, is there... Is that part of just a minimization or kind of a mitigation of the problem? Yeah. Or is that something that, if it is continually upkept, will prove to be an actual solution? The goal of gun violence prevention, right, is to decrease gun violence and to really get rid of gun violence. What I, and I will be the first person to admit, gun control cannot simply do that by itself. And I think this is actually a larger issue of American politics. And not to go too much on a tangent, but I think one of the faults of American politics in general are the ideas of single issues. Like, what's my candidate's environmental policy? What's their uh, criminal justice reform policy? What's their this policy? The inability to recognize the intersection of these issues, I think, is what faults American politics. And the same thing goes with gun violence prevention. But let's say we got all the gun control in the world we wanted passed. You aren't going to get 100% gun violence prevention without focusing also on mental health without focusing on violence intervention. So that's something, so uh, I'll highlight violence intervention for a moment because that's something that March for Our Lives has been lobbying for very recently. We're championing Cory uh, Booker's bill in the Senate and Gwen Moore's bill in the House. They're two separate bills. Uh, but basically the bills allow money to go to local organizations as well as hospitals to implement violence intervention programs to prevent violence rather than just be a band-aid mm. solution. I think that's where we're actually going to be decreasing the gun violence. A lot of the issues with gun violence is the fact that guns are just so prevalent. So I'll, I'll make a few different points here. One, guns are prevalent because there are not federal laws around gun violence prevention. So background, I, to take back to a point I made originally, I said background checks have blocked 3 million people in this country from buying guns. That's in specific states. But if we look at cities that have high rates of gun violence, such as Los Angeles, such as Chicago, such as Washington, D.C., where I live, there is not a single gun store in Washington, D.C., what is happening is that guns are coming in from different states that don't have these background checks, that don't have strict gun control laws, and they're allowing guns to flow into those states. And so that's the first issue. That's why we need federal policy, because then it makes it harder to bring, uh, even though I do 100% 
say it is illegal to traffic guns, to bring guns from one state to another state, but it is not heavily enforced. It just simply is not. If it was, then there would not be gun violence in Washington, D.C., but there undoubtedly is. So that's the first point I'll make, is that there needs to be federal gun violence prevention policy. The second point I'll make, and it has to do with violence intervention, is that Guns are just so prevalent because of the lack of enforcement on trafficking that guns are just the solution many people take to solve disputes, which Mm. is extremely sad, right? And so violence intervention is coming in and saying, hey, you don't need to commit acts of gun violence to make your point. You don't need to commit acts of gun violence to settle your argument. Rather, let's think of other ways to do this. And let's bring in restorative justice. Let's bring in violence intervention. Let's bring in a bunch of different things that can help prevent the violence gun control is trying to stop. Um, We also need to focus on mental health, which is where a lot of the money that goes towards hospitals is going. Mental health is a huge part of this. Again, 60% of gun deaths are a result of suicide. So let's say gun control stopped all the violence we wanted that's interpersonal. That's 40% of gun violence. That's nowhere near our goal. So we need to make sure that certain mental health resources are given to local communities that allow people to really explore not only their physical health, but allow them to really take care of their mental health and make sure that they're stable as well. Again, I just think it's really an intersectional approach. That's what it needs to be in order to be as strong as it possibly can. It needs to focus in on so many of these different things. And of course, I highlighted violence intervention and mental health, but those are only two things in a range of things that need to be really sought after. Yeah, I agree. And I think there's one thing that I'll get into more probably another episode down the road. But there's a fascinating concept of demand policy versus supply policy. And then I think what you're alluding to is that the way to fix gun violence is really targeting demand and not supply, right? You can try to limit the way guns are purchased and used and bought and all of that. But at the core, if there remains a rather cultural problem or a mental health issue or a criminal justice issue that motivates people to commit these acts in the first place, it's not going to be as effective as targeting the root source. And I think we're in agreement here that stopping this really start with looking at why people commit this and a bunch of criminology rather than uh, targeting it down the road. I do think there is that aspect of that, but this is a sad reality to come to, I think. But if someone's going to shoot up a school, if, there's, if there is no gun, they're still going to attack the school, right? Let's say they bring a knife or something, which is horrendous. That, that we need to focus on mental health. But at the end of the day, and again, a horrendous thing to say, but knives just don't do as much damage as guns. That's why there is a focus on guns. Guns just do far more damage and are a far quicker road to death than a knife. And so that, that's why there does need to be a special focus on guns. That's why the intersectional approach, while I do believe in, in that intersectional approach, in bringing in violence intervention, in bringing in mental health, it does require a focus on guns. Guns are a part of the problem. I don't think there's any legitimacy in the argument, you know, guns don't kill people. You're, you're right, guns don't kill people without someone firing the trigger, but a person with a gun kills a lot more people than a person with a knife. So that's why we're focusing on guns, and, and, and that's why gun control is a super, super necessary aspect of our public health. I think it's a public health crisis. I think we're a safer America with gun control. And again, a majority of Americans believe in this gun control, and it's up to Senate Republicans to really act on it. Ben, thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, Jared. Good to talk to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Contested. If you like what you heard, please visit our website at contestedpolitics.com and subscribe 
on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. I want to extend a big thank you to Ben Holtzman and Antonio Herrera for coming on and providing some incredibly engaging information about gun control and gun violence. Additionally, I want to let everyone know that if you really enjoy Contested, the best gift you can give us is to refer us to your friends, family, and anyone who would be interested in the podcast. The more people and the more listeners we get, the bigger we can grow and the better the content we'll get. So please refer us to your friends. And until next time, thank you for helping us understand politics together.